He's worthy of every single praise that you can give him. My rock, my shelter, my very own. You can be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, worship team. I want you to know that the Lord met with us in a powerful way upstairs last night with our students. And that's good news. Come on. That's good news. If we ever need a move of God, it's in this generation. It's not good enough that he moved in my grandparents' generation or my mom's generation or even my generation. This generation has to have a move of God. I'm thankful that he's moving. This morning we're happy to have Paris and Mary Beth Reagan with us from Family Worship Center in Baton Rouge. Uh, Paris is the Crossfire Youth Ministries pastor at Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. Dynamic speaker, man of God. We love him. We welcome him. Give him a welcome, Paris Reagan, to Mag Church. <laughs> Paris, come take your liberty. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Good morning. Start turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And I just want to thank Pastor J.R. Armstrong for having my wife and, and, my, and myself here. Mary Beth, will you stand? This is my beautiful wife, Mary Beth. <laughs> She's definitely the better half. Better looking half, smarter half, wiser half, everything half better. <laughs> Way better. And, uh, but she's a great preacher in her own right. Um, she's preached a little bit for us in Crossfire. Uh, some of the um, uh, youth camps, they were IYCs, but now they're family camps uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She speaks during some of our workshops. And uh, if you ever wanted to hear her preach, you got to go on YouTube. Uh, and here, let me go ahead and just put this little plug in. Go to YouTube, type in Crossfire Youth Ministry, and hit subscribe and like. And watch all the videos and like all of the videos. Comment on the videos. Let's get that algorithm up on Crossfire Youth Ministries. Um, but you could, uh, you could definitely go and find her messages there and you'll be blessed um, by her ministry. But again, I wanna thank you, Pastor, for having us. Um, you guys have an incredible church, um, incredible building, incredible uh, uh, amenities, everything that you offer here is incredible. I've never been in a church like it. I love this place. And uh, if I don't upset him too much today, maybe we can come back. <laughs> uh, but I love this place and uh, I love all of you. Very hospitable. And um, man, I think that's one of the great earmarks of a spirit-filled church is hospitality. And um, you definitely practice that well here. Also wanna um, say something about your youth ministry. What I experienced in that youth ministry last night, that is not the norm. As the Spirit of God began to move last night during the praise and worship and uh, in the preaching and in the altar call, I, I'm telling you tonight or this morning that that is not the norm. What you guys have in the leadership in that youth ministry is special. Um, what you guys have that's taking place among your young people, it's special. And you need to be very involved in making sure that that youth ministry thrives and continues to do what they are doing with this generation. God has more in store for Mag Church. God has more in store, if I, I hope I get this right, Magnetic Youth Ministry. 
Um, God has more in store uh, for that youth ministry, for this ministry. Um, the best is yet to come. I mean that with all of my heart. The best is yet to come. And uh, never take it for granted. Amen. Luke chapter 15, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 11. I'm not the kind of person that likes to read a whole lot of scripture, um, but you know what? We're going to do that today, and uh, maybe it's good for us anyway. Um, I've, I've learned that even if you put together a reading plan for people, they're typically just not going to read their Bible. So I, I think reading good passages of text, long, longer passages of the text, can many times be good for us. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to start in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. <laughs> I like how he starts that off. I think sometimes we rush past it. But a certain man had two sons. This parable is not just about one son, it's about two sons. All right, uh, a certain man, he had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days uh, after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Here we have a Jew, an Israelite, feeding pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, how, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. <laughs> I love this story. And kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am not worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring here the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music, and he saw dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Your brother is come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. He was ang he, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you. I have not transgressed at any time your commandment. And yet you, gave, you never gave me a kid, and you never uh, made an opportunity or put on a party like you're putting on for this son, so that we could have a great time with my friends." Verse 30, but as soon as this son was come, the one who has devoured your, your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, son, you're ever with me. All I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. 
for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want to preach a message to you this morning entitled uh, The Parable of Two Lost Sons. The Parable of Two Lost Sons. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. Lord, we thank you for your presence that we have sensed in this house today. Lord, I thank you today that there is a king, there is a fountain who is a king. Lord, I thank you today that you are the fountain of living water, God, and all of those who come and drink of your waters, they will never thirst again. I pray that that fountain would flow like a mighty rushing river in this house today. Pour your spirit out upon us, Lord. Give us today a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of your Son. Lord, open up today the eyes of our understanding. Let us see today the hope of your Son's calling, the hope of Jesus Christ. May we see today the glory of the riches that you've deposited within the child of God. And may we see today the power that is available to those of us who believe. And Lord, we will not stop short today to give you all the glory, to give you all the praise, to give you all the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, Many of you may know this man as a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala, who pastors Brooklyn uh, Tabernacle Church in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Have you ever heard of the Brooklyn Choir? All right, so if you've ever heard of the Brooklyn Choir, that's the church, and their pastor is a man by the name of Jim Cimbala. And I encourage you, if you've never heard him preach or read any of his material, it's worth it. It'll light your heart on fire, make you want to serve God the way you should be serving God. Um, But there was a story that he told one time in a message that I was listening to. I've never forgotten it because of a statement that he makes towards the end of the story. He had just preached three different services because of their crowds. They have to have a couple of services a day um, in order that they may accommodate all of the people that come in and go out of that church on any given, given Sunday. And he had just finished the third service of that day, and he said, I was just flat out absolutely exhausted. And he sat down on a stage quite like this with his feet just dangling over the side. And as he sat there, his eyes were just panning around the audience. He was exhausted. He was tired. He was sweating, and he just wanted to go home. But he was sitting there as the altar call continued, as the Spirit of God was moving, and he's looking through the crowd, and all of a sudden, his eyes make contact with another man in the crowd. That man, he could tell just by looking at him, he had uh, smut and, and just grit and dirt smeared all over him. His hair was disheveled. His clothes were ragged. And he could tell this is one of the homeless men off of the streets that's wandered in to the church today. And as he was telling the story, we said, we have a protocol for this thing because most of the time these guys wander in, they're just looking for a handout. They're looking for some money. They want the church to help them. And we have a protocol for these things. I'm supposed to report this to so-and-so. So-and-so has to fill this form out. We got to find out if he really does need help or if he's just, you know, looking for something free. They have this entire protocol to deal with this. You'd have to imagine they'd be taking care of a lot of homeless people if they didn't have this protocol. Um, Not an easy thing for them to do. And as uh, he's looking at him, he decided, you know what, I'm just just too tired for this today. I do not feel like following protocol. 
And uh, if I get in trouble for it, I get in trouble for it, whatever. And he looked at him, and you could, he could tell that this man really did want to approach him. He really did want to talk to him. And he looked at him, and he motioned for him to come here as he's pulling his wallet out of the back of his pocket. He reached in, he grabbed everything that he had in that, in that wallet, and he stuffed it back in his pants. And as the man got close, he said, within about 10 feet, I began to smell him. He said it was putrid. It was uh, the streets mixed with urine mixed with, he said, I believe I could even smell alcohol on him. It was just, it was a, uh, it was just a putrid, um, disgusting odor. And I wanted, I, I just wanted to get him away from me as quickly as possible. I mean, we're talking about a pastor here, guys. And not a bad pastor at all, a man who has a great heart for God, who has done, I'm talking about sacrificial ministry uh, in many different locations that he's pastored. He loves people, but he was tired and he was just telling the truth about himself on this particular day. And he wanted to get this guy away from me, so it was just an awful odor. And he says, uh, he looks at him and he says, here you go, man, and hands him, reaches his hand out with the cash. And the guy looked at him and he said, I don't want your money. He was like, well, well, what do you want? I want that Jesus that you were just preaching about. I want that Jesus that you were just preaching about. And Jim Symbolist said his heart melted within him. He said, here I am standing with this homeless man. There's a homeless man in need of God. He said, and let's be honest, there was a preacher on that day that was in need of God. He said, and I'm not quite sure which one of us was needier. Honestly, in a very small way, in, a, in, a, in the most um, righteous way, there's an example of what we've just read in this text. A son of the Father, not very interested in the heart of the Father, and a fallen son of the Father, a wanderer of the streets, a, a wanderer, one who has lived quite like that prodigal son had lived, who had a better idea of the heart of the Father on that day than Brother Symbola did. Two men in need of God, and who knows who's needier. In this passage of Scripture, what we are looking at, and it's a, it's a bigger deal, I think, than we quite understand, both brothers are trying to evaluate and live in accordance with what the Father's heart actually is. We see two different perspectives on what these two sons believed about the Father's heart. you got to understand the gravity of the sin that this younger son has committed. He has made some very serious accusations by desiring to have his uh, his inheritance earlier than he was supposed to receive it. One of the statements that he made was, I don't really care if you're alive or dead, I just want my money. That's what he had told the father, I don't care very much about you at all, I just want what's mine. In other words, I, I think it'd be better off if you were dead so that I could have my money and I could go live the way that I want to live. Secondly, you'd have to understand that culture. That culture was tribal-based, it was village-based, and uh, the towns that you would live in, 
the smaller towns especially, wouldn't really be made up of people that you uh, didn't really know. In fact, they were quite oftentimes made up of your family members. That inheritance that the father was going to give to his sons was not just for the son like we think of it today. Man, I want to, man, I hope I have a rich family member somewhere that's got an inheritance and they'll leave that to me and I can live it up. I can buy that house I've always wanted. I can get that car I've always wanted. I can put the boat in the driveway. That's kind of how we think of an inheritance. This inheritance that they were to be given came with heavy responsibilities. Because that money was actually to go towards taking care of the family, not to be spent upon themselves, not to be given over to selfish desires and selfish needs. That money was to go towards the father's house. That money was to go towards taking care of the father's family. So he did not just sin against his father. This man sinned against the entire community. Number one, I want my father dead. Number two, I could care less about this community that I live in. I'm sick and tired of them both. I want my money, and I want to go live how I want to live. And this young man goes off, and he does some things that are uh, really bad. He goes and he lives with Gentiles. And not only does he live with Gentiles, he lives a very licentious, a very wicked life, partying it up, drinking it down, living it up, chasing every girl he can find. And this is how he thinks life should be. And he squanders all of that inheritance away until the point that he's literally living with pigs. I want you to think about it. I just want you to know today that sin is not a stagnant thing. Sin is something that will carry you into a place you never want to find yourself. I told my story a little bit last night, but I'll just give you the the end of it all. I found myself uh, separated from the girl that I was dating, separated from the team that I had played for, separated from my best friends, all of them. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because of the angry drunk that I had become. See, sin will take you into a place that You could have never actually envisioned for yourself. Sin is not stagnant. It does destroy. The wages of sin, it is death. And it'll take you into a place that you never want to go. If this young man were to ever return to the community, there was something that the the entire tribe, the entire village, had a responsibility to do. If he were to ever walk back, they were to meet him, these elders of this community, were to meet him at the gates with pots in hand. It's a ceremony called the Kazah, or Kizazah, or something along those lines. This ceremony, it's really is what it's called as a pot-breaking ceremony. What they would do is as that young man would come back to the village and make the uh, statement that he wanted to come home and be returned and restored to his family and restored to his community, then what they were supposed to do were take these pots and throw these pots down at his feet, symbolizing that he had been broken, he had been separated from his family, he had been broken, he had been separated from his community, that he had been broken, he had been separated from his Jewish faith. This is what the prodigal son 
This is what the younger brother actually deserved. As he comes into town, the elders would meet him there. His father was not allowed to come. His father was not allowed to be in this meeting. His father was to stay at home and not influence anyone or anything or how anyone thought. His mother was allowed to come to the ceremony and plead with the elders for compassion. But his father was not to come. It went against their culture. It went against their guidelines. He was not supposed to do this. And the younger brother, as he's sitting in this pig pen, as he's living where pigs live, eating what pigs eat, comes to this realization about the character and the nature of his father. Not about the fathers of the Jewish community. No, his specific father. And one thing that he remembered about his father is that his father was very good and very kind, not only to those that were his family, but very good and very kind to the slaves in his house. He's got a good father, a father that is known for his compassion, a father that is known for his mercy, a father that is known for his love. And he says, my slaves in my father's house live better than I'm living. I'll just go home and I'll, I'll tell him that I'm not worthy to be his son. And I won't even try to think of myself as his son or try to live in the comforts of being his son. I just want to come home and be one of the slaves, dad. If you'll just let me. See, this lost son, hear me today, had a better image in his mind of the heart of the father than the brother that never left. You know, I think if you and I were to ask the older brother, do you love the father? Then the older brother would have said, oh, of course I love the father. I love him with all of my heart. In fact, I've got a good example. My younger brother basically told him that he wanted him dead and took off with his money and he's gone and wasted it in the Gentile lands. I didn't do that. Every commandment that my father has given me, I have obeyed it. I've never once failed to do what the father's asked me to do for this house. Many of you in here, you're doing a lot for the church. You should. That's right. That's what you're supposed to do. You do a lot for the believing community here. You, you sacrifice. You volunteer. You do everything that's asked of you. You've never once turned it down. You've always been the one that would show up and do extra and do more. And listen, I'm telling you, I pray to God you keep doing that. We need more believers that are involved in the community. That's a fact. We've lost a sense of sacrificial living. We've thought that, and I'm, I'm going to be careful, we've thought that it's all the responsibility of the pastors. It's all the responsibility of the worship leaders. It's all the responsibility of the elders and the deacons. They're the ones responsible to go out there and to win the loss. They're the ones responsible to take care of all the things in this church. And for the rest of us, we just kind of lean on them and hope that they can get it done. We say we've done enough if we show up on Sunday and we've given a little bit of money into the offering plate or we show up on Wednesday and we sit and we listen to the teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not Christianity. 
I don't mean this unkind. I don't mean this rude. I'm just asking us. We're going to have to stop thinking that this right here, up here, is professional Christianity. And that the rest of us are just amateurs trying to figure it out. This is not amateur Christianity. These are the ones specially gifted by the Spirit of God. All we are is a gift to the body of Christ. We are not special. We are not professionals. We are nothing more than a gift to the body of Christ given to you. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4, to train you up, to prepare you to go out into the world and to do the work of the ministry. American Christianity has botched this whole system. We've created a, a platform, actor, crowd mentality. One worship leader said that uh, we've, we've created a system to where if we do well in our worship up here on this platform, then the people in the sanctuary check it off as their worship for the day. We've literally stolen worship away from the bride. That's what that worship leader said. I'll never forget that. As if you actually watch people when worship is taking place and you see them even singing the songs, there is a fountain who is a king. And they're singing, there is a fountain. He's a king. He's victorious and he's a warrior. And you're like, do you know what you're singing? Do you know what you're singing about? You can't listen. We talked about it last night in the youth group. You cannot just come in and lift hands. You cannot just come in and sing songs. You cannot just come in and dance and shout and think you've actually showed up and worshiped God. Because if it's not coming from in here, if it's not coming from a change that's taking place in here, it's not true. It's not genuine worship. And let's not even just talk about activity. Let's talk about what we're doing with our lives, Romans chapter 12. You want to really worship God? Then stop giving your life to money. Oh, I'm going to go preach to these drums. Stop giving your life to money. Stop giving your life to a career. Stop giving your life to the pursuit of comfort. And start... Bring in your bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord Jesus Christ as those that are alive from the dead. Only then are you actually appropriately worshiping Him the way that He deserves. Oh, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. The church, by and large, we've become a lot like the older brother that never left home. Do you love the father? Well, don't you see all the things I do for my father? Don't you see all of the sacrifices I've made? I might, you know what? That older brother might have liked having his inheritance a little bit early. That older brother might have liked to go off and do some of the things that the younger brother was doing. But he knew that if he acted like that, he'd be cut off from the community. So he didn't want to take the same stand the younger brother took. I don't know the heart of this older brother, but I can tell you one thing. Can we really honestly say that he understood the heart of his father? He was doing everything the good Christian is supposed to be doing. 
Hear me this morning. He was doing everything we're supposed to do, obeying the Father's commands, doing everything he wanted him to do, being there when his father needed him, taking care of things that the father needed taken care of, taking care of the house, taking care of the business, doing everything the good Christian's supposed to do. I come Sunday, I come Wednesday, I give my tithes, I'll help move chairs. And again, I'm not... I'm not telling you to stop doing that. I'm telling you you need to do more of that. But do we have the same heart as the Father? Do we know the heart of the Father? Because if the older brother would have been paying attention to his father, the older brother would have realized that his father's heart was broken. If the older brother would have really been focusing in on the father's heart, he would have realized, my father keeps going out to the front of the property and looking over that hill. What's he doing? And when he comes back, I can see tears rolling down his face. See, if the older brother would have been paying attention to the father, He would have realized that his father's heart was broken because he had a lost son out there in the world somewhere and all he wanted him to do was to come home. Why didn't the brother go to the father and actually ask him, hey father, you know what? I've been watching you. I've been spending some time being around you and I've noticed that Your heart's broken. Something's wrong. And I think I know what it is. You want that younger brother to come home. I know I got a lot of responsibilities here in the house, Father, but if you'll give me a couple of months, I'll leave home. And I'll go out into that world and I'll go into Gentile land if I have to. And I'll go find that brother. I'll go find that son of yours and I'll bring him home. If you'll just give me a chance, give me some time, I'll go. Ezekiel chapter 34, when the, uh, the temple was rededicated on Cheslev 25, December 25th, after Antiochus Epiphanes had been put to death, the uh, Seleucid ruler that had reigned over Israel had performed an abomination of desolation within the temple, offered up a pig sacrifice in the Jewish temple, in Solomon's temple. And the Maccabees rose up in revolt and they took the temple back. And when they took the land back, they took the temple back, they rededicated the temple. It's referred to as Hanukkah. This is what you and I today know as Hanukkah. It was the rededication of the temple. And Jesus goes to that feast day that represents the rededication of the temple that took place under the Maccabean reign. And on that day, specifically in John chapter 10, they would stand up and they would read from Ezekiel chapter 34. And the elders of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel would read out a prophecy condemning the evil shepherds of Israel. That they had done things 
they had taken from the sheep and take of te- instead of taking care of the sheep. That they were more concerned about uh, them being rich and fed than they were about the sheep being fed and well-groomed and healed and not broken. And they read this condemnation against the false teachers of Israel. If you keep reading, you'll find God, even though he's condemned those evil shepherds, he starts making some claims about himself. Now, they would read that portion, Ezekiel chapter 34, 2 through 10. I'm not going to take time to read it today. You should go read it. And they would actually read that out on that day. So that same day that Jesus, I love this, is standing there at the Feast of Dedication. No doubt they've just read from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 10, prophesying against the evil shepherds of Israel. Jesus stands up and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You start reading further down in Ezekiel chapter 34 and God says, you know what? You evil shepherds of Israel, I myself will come down and I will seek after my sheep. I myself will come down and I'm going to establish a a shepherd over Israel, even my servant David. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. And I will shower them with blessings around my holy hill. And Jesus Christ came down, God himself in the flesh, and he sought after those sheep who were lost who had wandered away, who were broken, who were wounded, who needed healing, who needed saving, who needed deliverance from evil beasts. And Jesus, God in the flesh, came down and on the cross of Calvary, on Calvary's hill, He poured out blessings upon all who would come to Him. The good shepherd came. Why? Because the Father's heart was looking down on a broken and fallen humanity. And because of love, listen, he did not get motivated by humanity's condition. It was from himself that he was motivated because he is love today. Humanity's condition did not make him a God of love. He is a God of love. We sang it this morning, you only see through eyes of love. I was a hopeless case. I was an empty place had it not been for grace. But the Father looks down on humanity and He loves them. And motivated by His own love, He decides that He'll come and do what these evil shepherds, what this brother And God forbid what the American church is doing today. We're doing everything we seemingly are supposed to do in here. But what are we doing out there? See, because if we were paying attention to what we're learning about the Father's house in here, We wouldn't go out there and just worry about building up our own lives and worry about building up our own kingdoms. See, we would maintain the heart of the Father. Oh, I hope you hear me this morning. The Father's heart today is the Great Commission. 
And that great commission is not just outlined for Brother Armstrong and our youth pastors and the leadership of this ministry. The great commission is something that has been leveled upon all of us. Whoever of you are spirit-filled, today you are called to be a witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Any of you that are Spirit-filled, whoever is filled with the Spirit of God, whoever is baptized with the Spirit of God, that power, oh, I hope you hear me today, that power did not come to you to build up your own life. That power did not come to you, and I'm going to be careful, to just make you a better plumber. That power did not come to you to just make you a better lawyer, to build your business. No, that power came to you, ladies and gentlemen, to fill you with God's spirit so you'd be filled with God's heart and that you go out there into the world. Because you paid attention to the Father's heart. The Father's heart today. We can see the father's heart and how he responded to the younger brother. See, culturally speaking, they wore robes. The father would have to gird up his loins in order to run. That was a show of embarrassment. It was a disgrace for a Jewish man to run. And this Jewish man said, I don't care. My son's coming home. And he gird himself up. It speaks of shame. God desired to save us because we were the ones who suffered shame. Our shame was a result of our own sin. Not what someone... See, one thing that I've learned to quit doing is to affirm everybody's victim status. See, we're very prone to say, well, the reason that I don't want to live for God, the reason that I don't want to go to church, the reason I don't want to be involved in Christianity is because a Christian hurt me. Well, I'm sorry to tell you this. I am sorry that you were hurt. First of all, and, and sometimes, you know, you got to be careful here. I don't know that you were even hurt. Maybe a Christian just took a stand for righteousness and you didn't want to live that way. It's actually a telltale sign that you ran away from God. Can we think here a little bit? Now I know that there are special circumstances where people actually were mistreated and were hurt, but can I tell you something? That's not the majority. Most people, and, and, and it, all people who decide that they're gonna walk away from Jesus Christ do so because their own heart doesn't want him. I don't mean this unkind and I don't mean this mean. I, I, I do care about the fact that you've suffered hurt. I do care about the fact that you've had to walk through some difficult things with people in the church. I, I've walked through some difficult things with people in the church. But Jesus sat down, and I can't get over this, and he washed the feet of Judas. He didn't run away from God because of what Judas was about to do. He didn't run away from God when Peter denied him. He didn't run away from God when the disciples parted ways and fled. He set his face like a flint and walked to Calvary. 
Because he knew that if he would maintain the will of God for his life, he would save those disciples. He would save Peter. And if Judas, if Judas would have turned to him, he would have saved Judas. He proved he loved Judas by sitting down and washing his feet. It doesn't matter what you've done. I can't affirm the reasons why you don't want to live for Jesus Christ because there is no good reason. And I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done. That young man would have had to walk back the whole way thinking pots are going to come flying at my feet. Because I deserve to be separated forever from my Father. See, you want to find the Father's grace, you've got to determine in your mind that you're going to come to Him anyway and understand that you deserve nothing. Listen to me. You deserve nothing that the Father would give to you. Nothing. I was a drunk and a fool. And I had no idea what Jesus could do. I had just heard the story that he had love and compassion. That for a sinner like me, he died on the cross of Calvary. He gave it all up so that I might be saved. And I just came to him, not sure that he'd do anything for me. And I said, Lord, if you'll deliver me from alcohol and tobacco, I promise that I'll serve you for the rest of my life. In that very moment, the Spirit of God rushed into my heart and he changed everything. I deserve for God to come running at me with a pot in his hand and say, you deserve nothing from me. Fellowship is broken forever. And I will never bring you back into my arms, back into my home, back into my house. You deserve nothing from me. I owe you nothing. I deserve the pot, but instead, ladies and gentlemen, once there was a broken heart, way too human from the start, and all the years left it torn apart, hopeless and afraid. Walls I never meant to build left this prisoner unfulfilled. Freedom called, but even still it seemed so far away. I was bound by chains for the wages of my sin just when I felt like giving in. Mercy came running. Mercy came running. Mercy came running. Like a prisoner set free, past all of my failures, to the point of my need, when the sin that I carried was all I could see, and when I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. The Father girded Himself about and he started running. He started running to that lost son. He started running to that child who had gone off in a stray. And he started yelling out to his servants, go get me the best robe in the house. I'm going to clothe him up with my righteousness. Go get him a ring, my ring. On that ring would have been a seal of the Father's house. What that meant is anything he wanted to buy, all he had to do was stamp that ring. 
See, God didn't just give you righteousness. He didn't just justify you in the sight of himself. (laughs) Uh, He gave you a ring. He didn't just let you know what the hope of his calling was. He wants you to know that there's riches that have been deposited on the inside of you. Spiritual riches. Riches being stored up for you in heaven. Give him shoes. Put shoes on his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate today. My son who was lost has been found. Singers and musicians, come back. My son who was dead. Dead in trespasses and in sins. Separated from God. Your relationship with God is not found in your attendance this morning. Your relationship with God is not found in your attendance tonight. Your relationship with God is not found in your attendance on Wednesday night. Your relationship with God is found in trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, admitting two things. Number one, I have sinned against my Father, and He owes me nothing. Number two, understanding that Jesus Christ died for you. Because God, though He owes you nothing, longs to give you everything. <laughs> oh. Stand to your feet this morning. We're going to have two altar calls this morning. First, I want to talk to those of you. Either you've never made things right with Jesus or you've wandered from Him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you need mercy to come running to you today? Are you one of those sheep who have wandered off astray and you've been living a way you know you're not supposed to be living? Have you been unsure as whether or not if you would come to Jesus that He would want anything to do with you? I'm here to encourage you this morning. He has everything in the world that He wants to do with you and for you today. He loves you very much. He's been standing out in heaven looking over the hill, waiting for the day that you would start walking home. He loves you very much. If you need to make things right with Jesus this morning, would you raise your hand in this place? I won't embarrass you. Just lift your hands in this place if the Lord's been dealing with you even before now. I see that hand, brother. Is there anyone else you need to make things right with God today? Anyone else at all? He loves you this morning. He died for you. What we're going to do here this morning is we're just going to have everyone just lift your hands to heaven. We're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this with me, to repeat these words after me. If you're watching us over the internet at all, and you need to make things right with God today, I'm going to ask you to pray these pr- this prayer with me. Just saying these words is not going to save you, but believing them in your heart, that will save you. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room, repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. 
Lord, I am sorry for my sins, for the way that I have lived, for the things that I have done. Please forgive me, wash me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Today I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Today I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that He was buried, and that He was raised again on the third day. And based upon this confession of faith, I can say today that I am washed, that I am cleansed, that I am saved, that I am a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, why don't we give the Lord praise in this house this morning. And just for a moment, I want to talk to the older brother. You show up to church, and we thank God for that. You've been involved in the church, and we thank God for that. But there is a lost world out there in Orange, Texas, that God wants to use you to win back to Himself. This is our commission. It's my commission, it's your commission. And if you have been that older brother that's not made it a priority to understand the Father's heart for evangelism, I'm encouraging you this morning, why don't we spend some time down in these altars and ask the Lord to give us His heart, but not just give us His heart, but to give us His power to go out there into Orange, Texas and win this community for the kingdom of God. Let God fill you with His love today. Let Him fill you with His compassion for the lost today. Let Him fill you with His power so that you can go out there and be the witness that God has called you to be.